President of the Louisiana District. God bless Brother Ewing. Let's worship the Lord as he comes tonight. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you so very much, Brother Whitehead, and I greet all of you tonight in the sweet name of Jesus Christ. You cannot know what a thrill and what a beautiful experience it is for me to get to come be here with you in this age group and to feel what I feel here tonight and to sense what I sense. It is a tremendous encouragement to my heart. In such an hour as we live, when you try the best that you know how to be concerned not only of the flag where you are, but to check the status of the flag on every front and to see what seems to be such satanic victories in so many areas of our American way of life, but yet to come together with a group like this tonight and to sense a deep hunger in your hearts to be what God wants you to be. And I really feel tonight that I am among a bunch of young people that love God with all of your hearts. I really believe that. And it's so gratifying. It is so encouraging. It's so uplifting to my spirits. And I believe heaven tonight looks on with joy that there are a group of young people such as this, somewhere in this world, that really does love Jesus Christ. And regardless of what he would ask, regardless of what he would require for us to be what he wants us to be and to be used of God, there are people in this assembly tonight that would pay the price, irregardless of what the cost. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you, Brother Whitehead for allowing an old has-been to once again come and share this beautiful occasion. Thank you, Brother and Sister Tenney. Thank you, Brother Hennigan, our youth secretary, and thank all of you. God bless you. You may be seated. <clears throat> Due to the illness of my wife and her not being able to be here, the trio not being able to sing, I had made up in my mind that I would just simply speak and that would be it. But Sister Tenney has applied a great deal of pressure and says, no, we don't want to hear you just speak. We want to hear you sing. So I guess perhaps if for nobody else, maybe for her, let me sing one song at least. And that would be, if you had known me before I knew him, and if you'll let me out, Go use this system here. Is that okay? Thank you. God bless you. I have said a lot of places that I have been over the country that I'm glad some of my dearest friends that I have come to know, I'm glad they weren't God. Because if some of my dearest friends now had been God, they would have never found me because they don't know where Boggy Valley is. And some of you living right here in Louisiana, you know an awful lot about Louisiana, but yet you don't know where Boggy Valley is. But uh, one day the Lord paid a visit 
to that little part of the country, that little community. And I'm so glad that he did not, he did not come by and find me for what I was because I was not much. In fact, I was probably, if it were possible, less than nothing. And he didn't see me for what I was, surely. But he saw something that he wanted the chance to work with. Sister Joan wrote a song, and it just simply says, if you had known me before I knew him, you'd understand. Just an old rejected relic on the auction block they decided to throw me away. The auctioneer asked who will take it. The Quiet and still Till a 
in my life, perhaps times when things were not so well with me, I was able to identify more at that point with Jesus Christ. There have been times when I felt forsaken and I understood his feeling forsaken. There have been times when I thought myself perhaps friendless and I understood at that point his feeling of being friendless. And sometimes I have looked at the experience of Jesus Christ having come to a world that was really looking for him but yet didn't recognize him when he got here. And I looked at his experience and I've cried. I felt sorry for him. Perhaps the words of this song would best say his story. And then the question, can anybody love me just because? Do you need a reason at all? If you really need a reason, then just tell them the reason you love me is because I first loved you. I've had some to follow me for just a night to eat. Others came in hopes that I would heal their crippled
unto men, now that he ascended, which is but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth, he that descended is the same also that ascended up far, far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. Could you say that last phrase with me? Unto the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. And everybody say amen. And I want you to hold your right hand up and say, God, anoint the lips of your feeble servant tonight. Anoint our ears to hear and melt our hearts together in the presence of the Lord tonight. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you so very much. God bless you. You may be seated. It hasn't been too long back, just a few years ago, and some of you may remember that. We had a youth camp, and the theme of that youth camp was... How does it feel to be that tall? And I will never forget that because that was an experience of my own when I was just a little boy. There's always been something about me, something about my nature that I was intrigued by, uh, by tall things. Height always did intrigue me. Mountains. I... Uh, <clears throat> I wished a lot of times on vacation going through the mountains, living in such flat country as we do in South Louisiana. Uh, I've always wished that I could do more than just look at hills. And I wish there was some way that I could get my arms around them or crawl up on their lofty peaks. And, and uh, I always wanted to know what it was to just really get high on a mountain, you know, other than just driving up, you know, something about driving around the top of a mountain. You don't realize that you're high until you get up there and look down. But I always felt like that uh, I'd love to just get out. So one day we was driving through the mountains and we stopped the car. And uh, I said, I'm fixing to get me a, a good load of mountains. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get right down where they are and I'm going to hug them and I'm going to enjoy it. Just, you know, looking at something at a distance and enjoying it, that's one thing. But when you can get an arm full of it, that's something else. And uh, so I was going to get me an arm full of mountain. And uh, I got out of the car and I started up the side of the mountain. Oh, I probably got 15 foot, about, about 15 feet up. <laughs> I was give out panting for breath <clears throat> but still in all there's been something about mountains that have intrigued me height that just really really intrigued me my dad my dad when he married my mother was uh, he was six foot four and uh, he wore I think his waist was 29 he weighed 135 pounds <clears throat> When he got up, he kind of unfolded, you know, just stood by. We got a picture of him standing beside of a car, an old 38 Ford, and, and uh, he's he just kind of laying down on the car. And, and, and he's so tall until his head's way up above that car. It looks like he could have reached to the ground on the other side. So tall. And, and, and I was a little old stubby thing, you know, when I was young and, and uh, still a little stubby, but I'm not quite so... Not quite so short, but uh, one of I, I guess probably I worried my dad with this question more than any other question, and I remembered as a child because I'd, I'd I'd look up at him like this. Oh, and it's he looked like a pine tree. He was so tall, and uh, and I'd look up at him, and really I, I I wondered. He was so tall until I thought things looked different from from his vantage point, and. Uh, and if I could have just been that tall, I felt like I could have seen things a whole lot better. And so the question, I word my dad, I guess, half silly with the question, Daddy, how does it feel to be that tall? And, of course, he, he, didn't, he didn't know how to answer it. I mean, he, he did the best he could and uh, to satisfy my mind. And he had set me down and tell me, well, son, it doesn't feel any different to be as tall as I am as than it does to f- be as tall as you are. You know, I mean, I'd look up, look up at him and wonder how the weather was up there, you know. It just, it just something, just, well, I finally found myself lacking two inches as tall as my dad. And uh, I found myself a man. But yet, in my adulthood and in my growing up in God, I still, I look at, at great men. I look at big people. I look at, I look at people that's, that's big of statue, not just big in size, but big in spirit, big in heart, big in faith, big in Holy Ghost, big in God. And I'm constantly asking the question, maybe not audibly to them, but how does it feel to be that tall? Brother Barnes, how does it feel to be as tall as you are? Brother Tenney, how does it feel to be as tall as you are? I think perhaps this, uh, this idea of Encounter 79 has been born in the hearts of our leaders for a reason and a purpose. And I don't want us to take it lightly here tonight. There are a lot of challenges and there's a lot of mountains in life that you'll face and there's a lot of things that will become 
They will intrigue you so much until you will set your mind to conquer. You will set your mind to climb the mountain. There's things that will challenge you and you will not stop until you get it done. But I'm here to tell you tonight, Encounter 79, young people who are embarking on your direction and course for life, for now and eternity, I want to tell you tonight, one of the greatest challenges that you will ever face, one of the greatest mountains that you will ever face, one of the greatest battles that you'll ever face, and one of the greatest victories you will ever win, You will see that mountain or that challenge the next time you look into a mirror because your greatest challenge will probably be yourself. Amen. Encounter 79. Encounter 79. Now that's staggering really. When you realize the power of, 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 of this world when you realize the power of satanic forces, when you realize the powers of, 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 of the powers that be, when you realize the strength of all of this and the impossibilities of some of the avenues of life that you could take and the challenges that it presents and what it would mean to finally one day ultimately conquer that. And of course, in this particular stage of life, there's something about stardom and fame and all of these, these kind of things that, that really hold a, a, a fascination to us and, and they are intriguing to us and all of this. But I want to tell you tonight, if you were to conquer the world of stardom and you were to become the second Elvis Presley, if you were to conquer the world of stardom and become another Marilyn Monroe, if you were to conquer stardom and become another Beatle group or, or some of the names that, that, that could be dropped right now and, and some, of the, some of the stars of, of, of this hour, if, if, you, if, if you were to ever conquer these things, whatever the energies that it took to conquer that world and whatever the victory that would have been accomplished by the energies that were expressed or, or put out, you will never, you will never have the victory and you will never taste of sweet success like you will taste of if you ever conquer yourself. Because until you conquer yourself, you will never conquer the other. Now, I'm not here to talk about making fame in the world and, and stardom and, and all of this. I'm here talking to a bunch of young people that want to be used of God. Am I right? Now, I want you to get with me tonight. I'm talking to every one of you. I said I feel like I'm talking to a group of young people that want to be used of God. I don't think I... I don't think I'm talking to a bunch of young ladies that, that, that desire to be another Marilyn Monroe. I don't think I'm talking to a bunch of young men that want to be another Elvis Presley. I think most of us realize that perhaps that, that, that is vaguely or greatly impossible and, and just a vague 
uh, possibility, but yet the interest and all of that is just not there for those things. But I'm talking to a bunch of young people that somewhere you want to find the place, you want to find the avenue, you want to find the combination to the lock, you want to find the key to unlock the door, you want to find whatever that secret something is to find that place of usefulness in the kingdom of God. Am I right? Now I want to tell you tonight, you hear me when I say the church, the most important institution given to the world, the church is not lacking in equipment to do the task that she has been designed to do. Amen. The church is well equipped to do what God has designed and even bought with his own blood the church to perform. God has equipped the church with every necessary ingredient and every necessary tool. Do you believe that? Now there's a job to be done. There's a task to do. There is a tremendous feat to perform. And if we are not doing the job, I want you to know now, it's not the fault of the church. It's, it, it's not the fault of the church. You can say what you want to say. The church has been equipped with every necessary tool to do the job that she was purchased with Christ's blood to do. And if we're not getting the job done, it's not the church fault, and it's not that in the design of God he left us to be a weakling, helpless bunch of people in this last hour. That's not the picture at all. The, the, the trouble, the, 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 the point of weakness lies within our, not desire, because I believe there are young people in this building tonight that want to be used of God. You want to be used of God. You love the cause of God and you love the church. And you want to see the church do the job that it was called on to do. You want to do it and you want to be used of God. And it's not that you don't have a desire, but the trouble is that somewhere we have not come to the place of awareness of what our role in the church is to get it done. There was something happened in my ministry in Lake Charles here several years back now, and it, it taught me a great lesson that has been a tremendous uh, help to me in dealing with people. And that let me let me quickly give you the the story. <clears throat> there was a there was a man who came to our church on uh, well pretty regularly. His wife was a member of our church, and, and his wife had had the Holy Ghost, I suppose, for probably 30 years. And he had been living 
with his companion, filled with the Holy Ghost, for all these years. This man came to our church almost every time the doors were open. He wasn't quite as faithful as his wife, but yet he was, he was relatively faithful. And I remember time after time, time after time, that man would sit there on those pews and, uh, and he would hear the message. He would sit through service after service. He would feel the conviction of, of the Lord, the convicting power of God. He would sit through altar call after altar call, revival after revival, sit there as though he were just totally untouched, totally out of it, and uh, unmoved. And uh, I, had, I had prepared sermons and, and, and felt in the Holy Ghost the tug and the weight of that man's soul on me at different times and, and uh, minister, uh, ministers besides myself. Uh, we have preached sermons to that man and, and with him in mind, trying to, trying to get him uh, somehow off of that back pew and into an altar. Well, <clears throat> much... Uh, to uh, much to my hurt, one day I just simply said, well, Kirby Buller will never live for God. Kirby Buller's a hopeless case, and I wrote him off. And I suppose that probably every preacher alive at one time or another has written certain ones off. You know, this is just a hopeless case. I'm sorry. And I had seen him turn against uh, walk, I mean, turn his back on the, on the altar and the preacher that was pleading so many times and walk out unmoved. And so I just simply wrote him off. And I said, it's a hopeless case. I may as well forget him and everybody else may as well forget him. And uh, here, we, here we were. I mean, it, it had been so long now since I, I mean, I just, I just, I just quit trying. And as far as, as far as really feeling a burden to pray for him, I didn't feel a burden to pray for him. As far as I was concerned, he was, he was hopeless. He'd crossed the deadline. And uh, I never will forget one day in a Sunday morning Sunday school class, uh, the Holy Ghost had anointed us that morning and, and, and the presence of God was there and conviction was there. And, and Kirby Buller, just like all the other Sunday mornings, he stood there unmoved, untouched, without any visual sign of, of, uh, of uh, being, being touched whatsoever. And uh, when, I, when I got through preaching, uh, somehow or another, again, a burden hit me for Kirby Buller. And I thought to myself, well, this is, this is ridiculous, you know. He's, he's hopeless. There's no way. Now, I walked off of the platform, and I walked back in, into the vestibule. He had already... Uh, excused himself from the service and he was standing in the vestibule and I walked right straight up to him, stuck my hand out to him and the Holy Ghost told me to tell him and I did exactly what the Holy Ghost told me to tell him. I just reached my hand out and shook his hand real firm and strong and I said, Kirby Buller, God wants to do something mighty wonderful for you and tears started streaming down my face when I said that and when tears started streaming down my face, I looked into his eyes and I liked to faint it. Tears welled up in his eyes and started falling over the lids and rolling down his face. And I'd never seen Kirby Buller even, even act like he wanted to cry. Never seen him even act like. And when he started crying, he, he a great big fella and robust and manly and leathery and 
And he dropped his head real quick and kind of shook his head like it was an experience that he wasn't quite adapt to and didn't want anybody to see the tears. But he made an utterance when he, when he dropped his head and shook it like that that I'll never forget as long as I live. And he said, no, Brother Merle, God could never forgive me for what I've done. It startled me. And I said, what do you mean, Kirby Buller? What do you mean God could never forgive you? He said, you weren't with me during World War II. He said, you wasn't standing there when we was in the heat of the battle. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the lives that I have taken. God could never forgive me for what I've done. The Holy Ghost anointed me to talk back to him that day and I told him, I said, Kirby Buller, the very fact that, a, that God has moved on one of his preachers to come back to this vestibule and talk to you today and the very fact that tears have, have, have dropped out of your eyes and down onto your clothes proves to me and should prove to you that God wants to forgive you and God wants to love you and God wants to save you. There was something about that encounter. The very next night that man was in church. It might have been that very night. That was on a Sunday morning. Kirby Buller walked down the aisle of the church, fell in the altar, and God filled him with the Holy Ghost. You say, preacher, what lesson did that teach you? It taught me a lesson that I don't want to ever forget. It taught me a lesson that what I had determined was Kirby Buller's reason for not serving God was not his reason at all. I thought he was hardened. I thought he was calloused. I thought he was a rebel. I thought he just didn't want to have God nor nothing to do with God. But how wrong I was. The truth of the matter was that the devil had hoodwinked Kirby Buller and had put an obstacle in his path and made him believe there was no hope for him in living for God. So I determined in that situation that my judge of character was not always true. That there was a man that really would have loved all of these years to serve God. But the devil had put a barrier in his road and told him, God cannot forgive you. And that's what had kept him out of the church all of those years. So I'm telling you that to tell you this. I don't believe tonight that it's because some of us are just simply rebellious by nature and don't want to be used of the Holy Ghost. That's not the reason that some of us 
are not successful in the kingdom of God, are not doing great things and becoming great successes and doing great exploits for the cause of God. It's not because we don't want to do it, but somehow there's a hang up here. There's a hang up there. The devil has told this one this and he's told that one that and he's got this barrier in somebody else's mind. He's told this one you don't have enough education. He's told that one you don't have enough personality. He's told another one you don't have enough talent. He's told another one you don't have enough this or enough that and he's got a lot of people sitting on pews non-productive because they don't think they can do it because they've listened to what the devil has told them. But I'm here to tell you tonight, just as as beautiful as the fact that God's church is equipped, I want you to know God's church can equip you to do the task and to do what's needed. Because what God needs is a man or a woman that'll stand up and say, God, I'm going to do it. 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 I feel the Holy Ghost here tonight. Hallelujah, hallelujah. How many of you would be honest enough with me tonight and stand to your feet and say, Brother Ewing, you're exactly right. The devil has made me believe that I couldn't do it because of this or that or the other. But the devil's been alive to me. God wants to use me in his kingdom. God wants to use me. If you feel that way, would you stand up right now and say that's exactly right? Hallelujah. 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 I'm preaching to you tonight that if God has ever done it for anybody else, He'll do it for you. If God's ever used anybody else, you get your attitude right with God, he'll use you. If God's ever anointed anybody else to preach, you get your attitude right. God will anoint you to preach. If God's ever anointed anybody else to sing, you get your attitude right, and God will anoint you to sing. 
God wants to use you and you want to be used of God but what stands between us the only thing that stands between us and doing the work that God has ordained this church to do is just a little growing up and maturing in our concept of what our role is with God. Now you want to sit down a little bit and let me tell you a little bit about our role? Some of them may have thought I was about to quit. If I keep a feeling like I'm a feeling right now, we just started. something to you did you realize that a child when it's born into this world by virtue now, now I want you to get this let everybody else walk around I want you to pay attention to me by virtue of its helplessness that child is taught that it's the king of its world Now the child can't help it because it's helpless. And if everybody was to just, just lay it out there and say you take care of yourself, the child would starve to death because it can't walk. It can't provide its own meals. It's helpless. So it learns by virtue of its helplessness that when something is not just exactly right, to cry. And when it cries, somebody comes to its rescue. It's not the child's fault that by the time he gets to be a year old, he's as spoiled and as rotten as he can be. It's not the child's fault because he's taught by virtue of his helplessness that when he wants something, he says, why? And mom, rather than hear that, will go do what the young'un wants. And when diapers are not just exactly right, he learns the discomfort of that and he said, why? And rather than hear that all day, mama go change that dude. Amen? It's exactly right. That child is taught that it's every whimper is somebody's command. He is taught by virtue of his helplessness that his authority is the call and command of the entire kingdom. And so when he sits in a high chair and he points to the icebox and he's just now getting to where he can kind of, you know, kind of point and, and, and in a general direction and all this. And he sits there and he says, wah! You know? And, and mom knows that if that young'un can say wah, that it's time for him to begin to talk and begin to ask for what he wants. Because she don't want a child that, that grows up, you know, as long as he lives and can't talk and just pointing for what he wants and all this. So she sits there and she says like a dummy, what do you want, darling? <laughs> and the little old fella says again, why? And mom, wanting to teach him how to talk and how to say something, she sits there very sweetly, what do you want, darling? And he looks back at her and can't say it, but said, you stupid thing. 
you've gotten it every other time I've ever said, wow, what you sitting there for? And if he could talk, he'd say, I want water, ignorant. And it's a traumatic experience in the life of that little fella when his every discomfort and every cry has been the kingdom's command. And when finally everybody goes to wanting to exact a little something out of him and, and, and for him to gain a little knowledge and learn how to talk and they began to sit there like knots on a dill pickle when he begins to give orders. And so it's a traumatic experience and he looks at everybody like stupid, what tree did you fall out of? I'm not the one that gives orders around here. This is not my world. This is mom and dad's world. Instead of them being my servant, I am really their servant. It begins to come through to him. And that's what causes kids to do like Landy did one time. Lanny was a little bitty fella and he was just coming through that traumatic experience in life, you know, and, and, and really it, it was, it was a trauma for him because dear Lord, Joan did everything, you know, just because he had such a loud mouth. And you'd do anything to get that mouth stopped. I promise you. And one day she had been exacting some things out of him. Instead of him giving the command, she was giving the command. And, and he, he told her one day, he said, Mama, he said, you remember when you was a little girl and I was a daddy? <laughs> Did you ever hear him say that? You remember when you was a little girl and I was the daddy? Well, see, what he was really remembering was the time back when he gave the, the, the command. And his mother took the command. But now it's, it's switched around and he finds himself the little boy and her the mama. It's a traumatic experience. Really it is. But it's got to be. It must be. And it cannot work any other way. You, you wish that it didn't have to be that way. But nature teaches it to be that way. And of course then there's where maturity comes in. And, and I, I, I don't know, I don't know tonight how to get this across to you. I don't know how to impress this with you. But I am afraid, not with just the college and career age group. I'm afraid that as a, as a general attitude among God's people, we have been living too long in an immature concept of what role we play in the kingdom of God. I'm afraid we have been just a little immature in our concept. We have come up with uh, uh, in, 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 the, in the first years of our Christian experience and our every cry was God's command because God loves His children. God loves His young'uns. And the church, mama loves the kids. 
and, 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 and that new convert comes in every time it, every, every time it smiles, there's somebody to smile back at it. Or every time it comes in a frowning, there's somebody to go over and, and, and pick it up and pet it and pamper it. And every time it needs to burp, there's somebody always there to burp it. And, uh, and, and every time it needs something, to, it, it, it learns that its helplessness is the command. And I'm a wondering tonight if somehow the people of God have not lingered too long in an immature concept of our relationship with God. And I'll tell you what has developed. The attitude has developed among us that I can't do it. Because, uh, because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm afraid I don't have this or I don't have that. What it, what has happened? Everything that we are to do, everything that is, that is ours as the church to accomplish, it's, it's, it's something personal with us. The fear of failure is on our back. Whether it works or whether it don't work, it's on our back. I don't know whether I will be able to do this because it's been our world and we know what our limitations are and yet we don't know whether we can get God to accommodate us in what we want to do for Him. So the pressure has been on us. We, we, we realize, we, we know that there's people that, 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 that are bigger than we are. We know there's a, there's a standard of measure on the side of the wall that Christ filled and that we want to one day be to the fullness of that measure of that statue. We understand that. But yet, we are the king of our little world. We give the authority. We give the command. But yet, when there's a task to perform, we don't know whether we have the ability to do it or not. Because the pressure is on us because of our concept. But you hear me and you hear me well tonight. If we could ever grow out of that childish concept of this is our world and we're trying to get God to accommodate us for what we want to do. Instead of it being our world and we getting God or trying to convince God, did you ever find yourself on your knees praying and trying to convince God to do something that He wanted to do a bit more than you did? One day it was the it was the funniest thing. I, I I literally laughed at myself. I was down at the altar, and I was a crying. I was in the church all by myself. I was just a crying, just a weeping, and I was begging God. I found myself trying to find the right words. I said, God, if I could just find the right words that would turn you on, I'd lay it on you today, God. Because I want to see a revival. If I could just find the right combination that I could, that I could talk to you to where, to where you, you, you would just, you would just melt and mellow and begin to weep and cry with me. And, 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 and if I could convince you of what I want to see you do. And lo and behold, right in the middle of that, God stopped me and the Holy Ghost rebuked me. And the Holy Ghost spoke back to me and said, son, 
you're asking me and try to con- trying to convince me to do something that I've already died so that it could happen. I want to see it worse than you do. I said, oh my God. Oh, oh, I see. I see. So I found out that it's not me trying to convince God to come and accommodate me. But really what the picture is, God is trying to get me into a condition to accommodate him. Because it's really not my world at all. It's his world. I'm not really the Lord of this world at all. I'm not the one giving the commands. He's the one giving the commands. And I don't go because I want to go. I don't go at my bidding. I don't do what I want to do and try to get God to accommodate me. Now that's what our concept has been. We got up. And we wanted to be a success at singing. We wanted to really put it over, you know. Because we'd seen some others get up at camp meeting and boy, they got up there and they had their coats on alike and they had their suits on alike and they had this and they had that and boy, they really tore things up at the camp meeting. And I'd love to do that too, man. I'd love to get up there and I'd love to do that too. And so we get up there. Oh God, now look, Lawrence, you come down here and help me now. Ooh, ooh, I want to turn things on here tonight. I want to, I want to really do it tonight, God. And we get up there. And we fall on our face. And we drop watermelon seed all over everywhere. As the old saying goes, we burst our watermelon. But somehow, and the reason sometimes we have not wanted to sing is because I'm, I'm afraid I will fail. I'm afraid it won't work for me. The reason I don't want to preach is because I'm afraid it won't work for me. You see, it's our world, and we're afraid that we won't have the right words to say to get God to accommodate us in our little game. I I don't want to preach, God. I'm, I'm afraid I won't be able to do it. I don't want to go knock on doors. I don't want to work on a bus route. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. I don't want to teach a Sunday school class because of the fear of failure. And the fear of failure is because it's our world. And we're trying to get God to accommodate us. And the fear is that we can't convince Him to do what we'd like for Him to do when we put forth our effort. But the wrong concept will keep us in a place of non-productivity. But if we could ever get out of that concept, if we could ever get into, into the attitude that it's not my world, it's God's world. Hallelujah. And God... I'm not trying to get God to accommodate me, but God is trying to get me to accommodate Him. Hallelujah. And if we'd go about it with the attitude, I don't care what they think about me. God has given me the the, the open door to sing, and I'm going to sing. Hallelujah. If it harrips the devil, I'm going to sing. If they sit back there and look at me like a knot on a dill pickle, that's all right. I'm going to sing. Hallelujah. I'm going to preach. If they sit there and, and, and moss over, I'm still going to preach. I'm not going to let nothing stop me because I'm not doing it for them. I'm doing it for him. Hallelujah. 
the one that gave you the talent to sing. He is the one. They're not the one that asked you. He is the one. They're not the one to anoint you. He is the one. Hallelujah. And get it out of your world. Get it out of your back. And let's go and do it unto God. Hallelujah. But I don't know whether I can do it or not. Baby. But I'm afraid they'll make fun of me if I pray out loud. Baby. But I don't know... I don't know whether they will accept me if I get up there or not. Baby! Infant! What's another good word? Imbecile! (laughs) Retarded! Oh God, that's what's caused so many of us to stay in those places of non-productivity because we were so immature that we were doing it as of ourselves, as unto people. But you will never be a success as long as you do things unto yourself or unto others. You will only be a success when you get your eyes above the crowd and go to doing it unto Him, unto Him, unto Him. Let's stand up and clap our hands and love Jesus tonight. Hallelujah. I've watched it at youth camps for years. I have seen children get up before the youth camp body. Just go ahead and stand. I'm I'm about through. And if they get up there with this little... Y'all pray for me. Well, I try to sing. It puts that congregation so on edge and so tense until everybody just sitting there shaking. Just she's scared to death, or he's scared to death, and it scares everybody else to death. But did you ever see an old boy or an old girl? Just walk up there like I ain't trying to impress you. Bless God whether I can sing or whether I can't. That don't make a particle of difference. I'm going to do this under God today. Hallelujah. Boy, when that kind walks up there, you know, they, they don't have to tell you, don't listen the way I sing. They don't have to say that. 
They don't, they don't have to say, say, I can't sing like Brother Wayne Goodine, but bless God, I'm going to do my best anyhow. They don't have to say that. Everybody can tell they can't when they get up there. But that don't make a particle of difference. They're not doing it for the congregation. They're not doing it for applause. They're not doing it for hand claps. They're not doing it for one thing except just simply to glorify God. That's all. To glorify God. Just to glorify God. Just to glorify God. That's all. That's all. Just to glorify God. Just to glorify God. Just to glorify God. If you're so scared of people, that means that you're doing it to the wrong crowd. Don't worry about what people say. Don't worry about what people think. Don't worry about the response of people. You're not doing it for them. You're doing it to glorify Him. Glory. Glory. Praise God. Bless God, I don't care what you think about it. I'm going to clap my hands in hell. And so they just back up. I don't care what you think about it. I'm going to magnify the Lord in hell. And so they just cut loose. Amen. And they just shout and praise and worship God. I want a bunch of college and career kids to grow out of that immature concept of it's my world and I'm trying to get God to accommodate me. Get out of that business. Get into that attitude. This is God's world. This is God's church. This is God's kingdom. your ears and get with it. Glory to God. Jesus have mercy. When you ever started to shout, did you ever stop to wait to see what everybody was going to think about you? Don't lie to me. You know every one of us have sat a long time in services and wondered what's everybody going to do and what are they going to think of me if I do what I feel like doing. But you never did get your blessing sitting there wondering what everybody was going to think about you. You had to get out of that out of your mind. Hallelujah. You had to get out of that behind you. Woo. And when you finally got victory over everybody else, then when you cut loose, you got what you were looking for. Amen. Hallelujah. You got what you're looking for. 
You've got what you're looking for. And God can use that. God can use it. God can use it. I promise you, I want to preach so bad I can taste it. It's too late to preach. I'm a quick. But let me tell you this before I stop. God gave me this little, this little thought one day and I wrote it down. I was preparing for a Sunday school lesson. When the Holy Ghost began to speak, I got me a pen and I started writing. And this is what the Holy Ghost spoke to me that day. It's been a blessing to me. God never gives to one the finished product of his desire. But he will make available all the raw materials needed for faith to build its dream. Praise God. There's a lot of people that sit right there on that same pew in the church. They sit right there. Now God, if you want to use me tonight, you just come on down here. And you take my right hand and lift it about a foot above my head. And you take this right foot that I've got glued to the floor. And you pick it up three foot off of the floor. You take my large body and my anatomy that I can't get very high off the floor. And you make me do it and I'll be happy. To yield to the Holy Ghost. Honey, when God makes you do it, you ain't yielded nothing. He's not looking for people that He's got to make do anything. He's looking for people that He just gives the suggestion. And they take it from there. And act on it. He just lets them know what His will is. Now, if you're looking for God to make you one of the best preachers in Pentecost, you'll be sitting there a long time, honey. If you're looking for God to make you be one of the best teachers or one of the best singers or one of the best bus workers or one of the best anything, if you're waiting on God to make you that, I'm sorry. You can have the best preacher in Pentecost and he won't make you what you're supposed to be. You can have one of the greatest churches in Pentecost and that church and that preacher will not make you what you're supposed to be. And you can have a tub full of the Holy Ghost.
and it won't make you do anything. The Holy Ghost, your church, and your preacher cannot make any more out of you than what your dream to be is. If you dream to be mediocre and you're content, that's all you'll ever be. If you dream to be just a mediocre Christian, that's all you'll ever be. God will never give anyone the finished product of their desire. But He will make available all the raw materials necessary for faith to build its dream. But if you dream a dream and you've got the will to climb the hill, God will see to it that everything you need is made available to you to become whatever you want to be. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Challenger tonight, college and career. I'm a challenger tonight, young people of the Louisiana district and neighboring visitors that have come in as well. I'm challenging you tonight. You can be whatever you dream to be, and God will let you have it. Put your faith to work. Get out of the concept that it's my world. And I'm trying to talk God into doing me a favor by anointing me tonight. Bless God, forget all of that. And do what you do as unto God. Glorify the Lord. Glorify the Lord. Glorify the Lord. Glorify the Lord. Don't play to the audience play to the balcony there was a young lad grew up in a city he was taught by a professor he became a great musician the world picked up his talent he became world known traveling around the world finally one day his hometown decided that they would give him a night of honor. And they invited him back to the city auditorium. The place was packed by people of the city that wanted to give him honor. And so he sat down there that night, the first time back for a concert in his hometown, after his making it big. While he was playing the numbers of the tunes of that night, he was searching the audience. He was looking. 
He played simply by memory. But his eyes were scanning the audience. Looking, searching. Finally, he got to the last number of the night, which was to be his masterpiece. What he was, had become famous for. And so he sat down and he said, I'm going to do it the best I've ever done it tonight for my hometown audience. And he gave it everything he had. While he was in the middle of playing that beautiful, beautiful masterpiece, his eyes were still scanning and he looked in the balcony and he saw a face that he had wanted to see all the night. When he got through with his presentation of that last tune, the crowd burst into applause. But there was not an expression, not one, on the face in the balcony. And so he said, I'll play the tune again. I'll play it again. And I'll do it this time to where I'll get an expression from the face in the balcony. And so he sat back down when the applause had died down. And he began to play this time. He played it like he had never played it before anywhere. And when he got through, the crowd this time went wild. They began to whistle. They began to holler. They began to wave their hands and applaud. But not an expression had changed on the face in the balcony. He said, I am determined. I'm going to do it to where I'll get it. I'll get it. I'll get some kind of a change of expression on the face in the back of it. And so he went back to the piano. He took his coat off. He rolled his sleeves up. He said, I will play it this time. I'll play it. And he sat down and that time almost literally attacked the piano. And he played it until all the strength in his body had just simply had flowed through his arms and into his hands and he had poured himself on the keyboard of that piano. And this time the crowd was so ecstatic until they were waving and they stood and they were screaming and they were applauding. And when he had nothing left to give, the face in the balcony simply smiled and his old professor held up a hand just simply did that. <laughs> if you play to the bleacher, the hand clap is all you'll ever get. But if you lift your attention, it may cost you a little more. But if you can ever get the smile from the master in the balcony, You'll have it made then.